Welcome to the Fremont Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. We are a family of believers who meet in Fremont, Indiana every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We are attempting to follow Jesus by loving God and loving people. If you would like to support Fremont Community Church, go to www.fremontcommunity.org. there, Fremont Community Church. Really great to be with you tonight. Excited to jump into and hopefully finish Ephesians chapter 5. We may even, it's entirely possible, we will move from chapter 5 all the way in to chapter 6. So that's going to be interesting. Hopefully we can make that happen. Not sure if it will or not. You never know when it comes to uh, to to this Bible study, exactly how fast or how slow we're going to go through any one bit of the scriptures. I'm trying to pull things up here uh, while I talk to you, so um, forgive me if I'm a little distracted or if I'm kind of looking off one way or t'other. Um, oh, that's not the right. I, I don't think I would be able to read this to you in Greek. Um, so... Uh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we may end up going to chapter six. That's entirely possible. Okay. So friends, really great to be with you. Excited to jump in to, uh, to, to our study tonight. So let's pray so that we can get a move on. All right. Heavenly father, thank you so much. We, we, we really, there's so many things to be grateful for tonight. So many things to worship you for so many things to say you are good and your love endures forever. So, Father, my prayer right now is that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we talk about marriage tonight and and what it looks like for us to submit to one another, Lord, um, I pray that you would give me grace to speak your word uh, and to handle your word rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth as, as uh, you commanded us to do. Lord, surround us with an awareness of your presence. Fill our lungs with your breath, I ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. And amen. Okay, so we are starting with verse 21. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject uh, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loves the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, 
for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. I'm going to read a little bit of chapter 6 because uh, it's a continuation of the thought. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as man-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. I think that's probably uh, where we will finish out tonight. Okay, so we boy, we do have a lot. We've got a lot to lot to cover here. Um, and, uh, and, and there's some pretty controversial things that uh that 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 we need to cover some things that are that uh that different church denominations would interpret differently um some things that uh that uh, that that have been big fights in the midst of the church over the years and i am excited to go after those because why not let's do it so we begin this portion of the scripture Remember, we have moved over from the theological into the more practical, although Ephesians, I think, of all of Paul's letters, gets doesn't get quite as practical as some of his others. Um, but uh, but but uh, but uh, we're talking about the way we're going to live according to the calling that we've been given. Remember, that was the command. Walk worthy of the calling that you've been given. Um, and so we're, we're, we're delving into what that looks like. What does it look like to be a people shaped by the love of God? Uh, as this chapter started, be imitators of God as beloved children. So what does that look like? How do we walk in love just as Christ loved us? We have received the love of God into our lives. And, uh, and, and how, what, is that, what does it look like for us to turn around and to... And, and to step into that and respond to the love of God that's active in our lives, how should we how should we live out our everyday? And so Paul has talked about, you know, no immorality and, um, uh, you know, he just that was what we spent the first half of this on. Um, but now he goes to this to this line. Uh, that is usually in your Bible, verse 21 is often separated from 22 and following 
with a uh, with uh, with maybe a, a chapter heading is there or or etc. I think I looked at the newest version of the NIV and they had put 21 next to 22. Um, but in the NASB, which I'm reading now, 21 actually is a continuation of the sentence of chapter 20 and is not and is and is disconnected from 22. The reason I mention it is because if we miss this first verse, we miss the context of what he's about to say to wives and husbands, parents and children, slaves and masters. Um, It is shocking, difficult for us to hear the language of slave master, um, slave slave and master in our culture. Um, uh, You know, slavery has has uh, been abolished now for for a long time. And we're really grateful for that. And it was looking at the Bible and looking at what God has to teach us that that took, brought us to that place of setting slaves free we 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 realized that uh that, that we should that that to live out a life of love means that we don't have slaves anyway i'm gonna handle myself um which is but i really hope that we get to talk about that tonight because um the fact that they're mentioned at all is pretty amazing um so, uh, uh, but again, I get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Forgive me for that. Uh, all right. So it starts with this line, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is, this is the instruction and it's the primary instruction. It is the instruction that, that is the foundation of everything else that we're going to say in the, in the next, you know, 10, 15 verses. The, the command is be subject to one another. All of you, all of you who name the name of Christ, you are commanded to be subject to one another because of Jesus. Because we love Jesus, because we fear him, because he is our master, our Lord, our savior, because he is the one we obey, we therefore must learn to be subject to one another, all of us. He is putting everyone that loves Jesus, man, woman, uh, parent, child, slave, and free under one category, and that is those who fear Christ. And now he's going to break those that category out and talk about how that works in these individual relationships which make up all of our lives. All of us are husbands or wives, fathers, mothers, children, slave or free. All of us will fit one of those categories. Um, and, and so what does that look like within that relationship? And remember a couple of things. Number one, remember that he's writing to a first century world, a world that, uh, there's actually more slaves than there are free people in the Roman world. That's, that's the, that, that's how the Roman world worked. There were more slaves than there were free people. Almost all of the wealth and privilege and power were located in one location. And that was in the, the wealthy people, specifically men. Um, uh, and, and they were the ones that pretty much got to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and and they you know ran the the whole world uh, of Ephesus, 
however, uh, in there is an interesting thing, which we'll get more into that later when we talk about Ephesus in particular, because there was an interesting thing at work with Ephesus and women in in leadership positions, which will become important as we continue to study. But for this particular um for this particular section of scripture, I don't think we need to talk about it quite yet. Um, so uh, Paul says to everyone to be subject to one another out of the fear of Christ. Um, all of you are to choose to be subject to one another. Uh, that's that may not feel like good news. <laughs> That may not, that might rub you the wrong way. I, that Paul would say to you, imagine him coming to you and saying, I want you to be subject to that guy right there. The person that you sit behind in church, you're subject to them. Ooh, um, in our world, that would be, I don't think that sermon would go very well, right? I don't think people would would enjoy that particular Sunday at church. They aren't going to be shouting and screaming on that one. You know, that's not going to be a la a bunch of loud amens for that particular, uh, brothers and sisters be subject to the person next to you. What? Wait a minute. Excuse me. Um, you, I, I have to do what they tell me to do. I, I have to, that they get to rule over me. Ex explain that to me. Uh, we don't really use this phrase so much be subject. Um, but it literally means I want you to consider yourself of lower rank than the, than everyone else in the body of Christ. I want you to understand yourself as being of lower rank of, of, lower status i want you to consider them of higher importance than you excuse me now it says be subject to one another so we're all supposed to be feeling this way but you can automatically feel the vulnerability that comes with saying i'm going to be subject to fill in the blank doesn't matter who you put in that blank even sometimes it's difficult to do that with jesus himself i'm going to be subject to jesus even that feels difficult that feels that that's hard we don't like that uh we don't want that we don't want to be subject to anyone we're americans we don't we're not anyone's subjects we are, this is a democracy, right? That's how we all feel. But Paul is saying in the body of Christ, I, 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 we, because we fear Christ, because we love him. Now understand, look, I, I want to clarify. When it says fear in the fear of Christ, it, uh, it does not mean that you're afraid of Jesus. You shouldn't be afraid of Jesus. And anytime anyone was afraid of Jesus, he said, fear not, over and over again. That was, you know, we're not called to be afraid of Jesus. But when we see Jesus for who he is and we recognize what he's done for us, we have this deep 
uh, respect for him that that that's that shapes the way that we behave towards one another. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. It's hard in our culture because we don't we don't really live in the fear of anyone a lot of the time. That's kind of seen as as the right thing to do is like to not consider anybody, uh, you know, uh, fearful in that way that we wouldn't be afraid. Like, you know, if you if you met President Biden on the street, um, you know, a lot of us would maybe say something really mad, really bad to him. Uh, we definitely don't have a problem saying bad things about him when he's not around. Um, I, this place of reverence and respect and awe that we should show to Jesus. That's what it's talking about in the fear of Jesus in reverence, respect and awe towards Jesus it should change the way that we behave towards one another because we have reverence and respect and awe towards Jesus we should be subject to one another now this goes back to what Jesus commanded us in the gospels where he says the greatest in this kingdom is the servant of all. Remember that? Jesus Jesus says, no, the greatest in this kingdom, you know, you you ask me who's the greatest. You say, who's going to sit at my right hand? And I say to you, the greatest in this kingdom is the servant of all. And then Jesus goes on not much long, not much later to demonstrate what he means by washing the feet of his disciples, which was a low and menial task, and saying to them, I have done this for you. You now should do this for one another. That we live in this place where we honestly consider ourselves the servant of all of the believers who share faith with us in Christ. That we live our lives as servants. That's a tall order. And it's not necessarily something that we uh, will would enjoy doing. I don't want to consider myself the servant of fill in the blank of anyone. I don't. Um, and yet, this is what Jesus expects of us. And this is what it looks like for us to love each other. I believe that this attitude of servanthood and servitude and this refusal to pursue our own uh, our own advancement, to pursue our own sense of of I want to be in charge of everyone else. I think I think that that this this way of love, this cruciform or cross-shaped way of loving each other is one of the primary ways the world will see Jesus in us. If we learn to be a people who consider ourselves the servants of one another and of our communities, 
I believe that this is how the world will see Jesus reflecting from us. I do believe that. If we can figure that out, if we can figure this out, what it means for us to be subject to one another out of the fear of Christ, I think it'll demonstrate to the world that we aren't like them, that, that there is something different and special and powerful that's happening in our midst. I really do. I think, I think that might just be the way we reach the world. But that's saying a lot. It's asking a lot. And there is, there, there is a lot. It's not simple or easy. It's a daily struggle that we walk through. And so Paul wants to kind of go to each individual um, kind of way of doing life and walk through what it looks like for us to be subject to one another. Now he begins, and I've heard some things about this, which I'd have to study more, but I've heard that there are other documents in the Roman world that use this framework, wives, husbands, children, masters, slaves, and that they talk about how these people should behave towards one another. And so Paul was like borrowing something that was very um, well known to the, his readers and kind of turning it on its head. Um I don't know enough about that to comment a lot about it, but let's but let's just look at the things that it says to do. So it begins, and remember, everyone is to be subject to everyone else. That's the plan. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he begins with wives. And the this is and you know, most ladies don't really love this verse. Uh, and I understand that. <laughs> but we're going to get to the guys in a minute. And the truth is, he has more to say to the men than he does to the women. And there's really good reason for that, by the way. But we'll get there in a sec. So wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, I tell you right now, if I ever looked at my wife and said, be subject to me as to the Lord, I, that might be the end of my life. Right. Um, uh, I think that's probably correct. Uh, the Lord would never do that. So, <laughs> um, but there's a couple of things here. One, it's be subject to your husband, your husband, um, I'm very, like, this is a hard one for me to talk through. Um, uh, because I, I'm, I'm really, oh, I just, I see patriarchy in so many ways all over the place in our world. And, and, and I've heard this verse radically abused, and it's hard for me. But wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife. Let's talk about this word head, shall we? It's very, very important. Um, it's just the Greek word head. Um, uh, but headship does not mean uh, uh, domination.
this idea of what it means to be the head of something else. Um, it means responsibility. In this culture, it would have been nearly impossible for a woman to earn her own money or to have her own finances. Um, and Paul immediately pivots to Jesus as the picture, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Okay, so... Men, the way that we are to the the way that we are to to be in relationship with our wives should always be looked at through the lens of Jesus. Um, not using him as some kind of excuse for greater greater authority. I just man, this whole thing is making me uncomfortable. I can just see so many ways it could be taken to mean exactly what it doesn't mean. Think about the way that Jesus leads us. Think about the way that Jesus interacts with his church. He, he makes space for her. He forgives her. He opens up the world for her. He restores her from, place of, from places of brokenness. He, he empowers her. Think of all the ways that Jesus makes space for the church. But, but so many men over so many years have read this as, that's right, when I speak, you should consider it as if the Lord was speaking to you. And I just, man, that's ugly and gross, and I'm not okay with it at all, and I just don't, I don't. Gotta be careful. Because that's not where Paul is coming from. Um, yes. Wives, be subject to your husbands. But it says be subject to one another. And we do not read that verse without reading everything he has to say to the husbands. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Okay? So you don't, we're, we're not living separate lives. We're living one life together. Husband and wife living one life together. Interwoven. You're not independent of each other. You are you are together in this. You are together and you are to think about everything together and you are to walk through everything together. And if any man reads these verses and decides that this means that he's in charge of everything and he gets to tell his wife what she's supposed to do and not supposed to do all the time and that she just needs to shut up and listen to him, then he's never read the following verses and not only that, he's never paid attention to the way Jesus leads his church. All right, verse 25. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He poured out his life for the bride, for the church. Now, here's the thing. Men would not have been spoken to this way. <laughs> they might have been told to keep their wives in line or, or you know, don't let your children run amok. 
but they wouldn't have been told to sub- to be subject in any way to their wife or or their children. This teaching at that time, this would have been such a huge explosion of whoa, 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 whoa. We kind of miss it. We do because we, you know, we live in a different world. Um, but here, this gentleman, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Now, how does Jesus love the church? He literally poured out his blood for her. He makes a space for her. He forgives her. He's kind to her. He's gentle to her. So that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That doesn't mean mansplaining. Just putting it out there. Oh, honey, I'm just washing you with the water of the word. No, no, uh uh-uh, no. (laughs) It's about bringing her in and becoming a partner with her in her success in Christ. What does it look like for you to be a part of your wife's growth in the Lord? That's the question. And it's not easy. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. How do you help your wife walk through life holy and blameless? How do you help? How do you step in? Husband or wife, doesn't matter. How do you step in and become partners with one another in the way that they love Jesus and love people? How do you become a team in in glorifying God? And then he says, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So there's no place for cruelty. And there's no place for uh, uh, annoyance. And there's no place for, you understand your own needs. You need to understand hers. You understand uh the the things that makes that the 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 things that are going to make your body work well you need to understand what's going to make your wife work well how can you see her as an extension of yourself not that she becomes sublimated to all of your you know wants or desires that's not what i mean but i mean serving her as if she were a part of your a part of you No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Nourishing and cherishing one another. See, I don't feel like Paul thinks he has to say that to women, because women tend to nourish and cherish their their beloved relationships without too much, uh, without too much encouragement. But men, we're not great at the nourishing and cherishing. Not usually. Some of you are, some of you aren't. But Christ nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his own body. And then Paul quotes from Genesis, where marriage was created. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
She has not become, she's not here to serve your life. The two of you exist together to serve the life of Christ. That's how this works. She's not here to make your life work. You are you have come together to make life in Christ work for each other and for your children. But we're going to get to your children in a minute. This mystery is great, he says. So that the mystery that he's talking about is the 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 joined to his wife and two should become one flesh mystery. And then he says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So so how is it that the church becomes so wedded literally to Jesus that we have become one with his flesh? This is one of the reasons we eat and eat his flesh every Sunday at our church, because we have become his flesh. We have been joined with Christ mystically as that is a that's that's a that's a wild and crazy kind of word and kind of world but that's the truth we have become one with jesus and paul is kind of blown away for a second by that incredible mystery i also want you to think about this a little bit marriage <laughs> marriage was created as a reflection of God's relationship with humanity. Marriage was created as a reflection of God's relationship with humanity. It didn't have to happen this way. God could have done it any way that he wanted to, but he created marriage as a reflection of God's relationship with humanity. Which is why we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Being brought in to the family of God as the bride of Christ. It's shocking. It's a great mystery, as Paul said. But it's a powerful thing to ponder and to think about. Verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife. His own wife. Not somebody else's wife. And by the way, the ladies only need to be subject to their own husbands. This whole thing that he's talking about here, yeah, the authority that has been granted to a husband and how this whole thing works, that doesn't mean women across the board are below men. No, no, no. And an unmarried woman does not have to submit to any man. Hallelujah. That just I that that right there ought to be enough to convince some women to stay single. <laughs> but remember what it looks like, headship. This reality of headship. When Paul talks about headship in other places, like he did in Ephesians 4, the last chapter, he talks about uh the whole body coming together and finding its connection place in the head which is Christ Jesus. So there is the the head of a thing. It's not about domination. It's not about headship doesn't look like I'm in charge of you and you do what I say. That's not headship. Headship is care and stewardship. It is it is it is making the space for that person. Opening the world for them 
using the power and privilege that you've been given as a man to to create a place for your wife, your sisters in Christ. That's how headship works. That's what Jesus has done for us. And that is what we do for each other. Each individual among you is also to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it she respects her husband. So there, there it is. I don't know that I've clarified anything, but I just, this verse, these verses cannot be used in the way I've seen them used so many times. And that is, you know, shut up, woman. I'm your husband. I'm the head of this household, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you are, which means that the responsibility for the holiness of this household. Uh, there is there is a real weight upon you, sir, to serve your wife and your children, not to dominate them or be domineering over them. Your job is to serve them. You are responsible to do so. Now he turns to the kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he quotes the ten, one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And then he puts it on a little side. This is the first commandment with a promise. And he finishes the command. So that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the earth. My mother always used to say, that's right, because I'm going to kill you if you don't. Uh, she did say that, but she was joking. Once again, that's almost expected. Okay. So in the husband and wife conversation, uh, Paul kind of lures lures the men in with the wives be subject to your husbands, right? But then he drops the bomb on the men. Boom, right? So 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 he turns the tables. It's he sets this expectation like now the girls are gonna hear how it's supposed to be. You tell them, Paul. That's right. You listen to this, and then. A couple of seconds later, he's like, husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for her. And the husbands are probably like, you can stop listening now, babe. Uh, right. And he starts again with the kids. Kids. Yes. Be honor your father and mother. They'll bring you long life. You'll live long in the earth. Praise the Lord. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a tough one. Um, this is a tough one uh, as a dad. Um, it is again, it is again an instruction on the use of authority and power as parents. We've been given authority over our kids. We've been given responsibility for them and, and Paul recognizes that responsibility and he recognizes that authority, but he also recognizes a child's need for parents who love them, for parents to love them and to gently lead them in the instruction of the Lord. You need to model what love looks like by serving your children. And that's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's really difficult to be the kind of dad that does not provoke my child to anger. This um, uh, this phrase has to do with like frustrating your children with uh, with 
again, it's this place of, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you need. You're going to do as I tell you to do. That kind of thing is out of place in a Christian household. We as parents need to be looking at our children and we need to be thinking, how do I partner with them in their growth in Christ? How do I wash their feet? How do I invite them in? How do I invite them into holiness and righteousness? How do I invite them into a relationship with Jesus? How do I recognize their personhood, recognize their individuality, recognize who they are and what God has created them to do and to be, and invite them in to all that God has created them to do and to be? That's what we're looking for. Um, uh, earlier in Ephesians in chapter 3, there's this verse that says that uh, all the families on, on the earth derive their name from the Father. And years ago, I felt like the, I was pondering that chapter, that verse, and I, I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, you named your children and you name them still. Okay, so like uh, that, that, that my kids... Um, get their sense of self from the from my opinion of them that they that they will understand who they are as i as i name them and um so often we we name them after <laughs> the things that they've done wrong rather than calling them into who they actually are. So for instance, if one of my kids stole something from someone else, you know, and you're like, you stole that from him. You are a thief. I am naming them something that they're not. But what I, instead of doing that, I could turn it around and I could say to them, you stole that from them. I'm not, I'm not saying we don't, name sin as sin, but I don't name my child as sin. So yeah, I name what they did, but I also remind them who they are. You're a member of this family. You're a loving brother. You love this one. You love your brother. You love your sister and you don't treat them this way. That's not who you are. So remember who you are and be welcomed into Come back to who you are and set this right. And that I've really tried to walk in that. But there's also a place for this where it's a don't, you know, for to think about this. Do not provoke your children to anger. How are we going to wield the authority that we've been given and that we have responsibility to wield over our children? How are we going to wield that authority? Are we going to wield it in such a way that that they feel small or dehumanized, that they uh, that that they feel that they don't matter and that I don't care about them? Is is that how I'm going to wield that authority, or am I going to wield this authority in such a way that they are reminded of who they are and that they are welcomed to uh, that they are welcomed to become? who God created them to be and to step into the fullness of, of, of who they can become in Christ. Um, 
I think that's really, really important. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say. And then we finish up with slaves and masters. We really have breezed through this, uh, these verses tonight. So that's good. Um, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not to be not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Um there were slaves and masters at this time. And no, Paul doesn't come right out of the gate saying, slaves, you don't have to be slaves anymore. And there's a lot of people that critique the Bible by saying, you know, they say, well, I don't have to read this book because because it says it's okay to have slaves. Um, and I would say that they're ignorant of the history because, yes, this verse is, was misused, by masters. Um, in fact, uh, uh, slaveholders in the South put together, uh, they, they cobbled together slave Bibles, uh, which were full of, of words like this. But they kept things out, like um, the story of the slaves leaving Egypt and, and some of the other things. They didn't put that stuff in the Bible uh, that they gave to their slaves because they didn't want them to be inspired by the Bible to leave slavery. Uh, but it was Jesus lovers and Bible readers who ended up ending slavery in, in the United States first in England and then the United States, because they realized this is not what Jesus would have us do. We, he would not have us own slaves. And even though the Bible makes a space for slavery that, and, and talks to slaves and masters both about how they should be, how they should treat one another. Um, uh, uh, I forgot to, uh, <laughs> I forget. Oh no, I did read that one. It's just not in this. Um, but, uh, but, uh, I got sidetracked. Sorry. Talks to slaves and masters, both about how they should treat one another. So verse nine, I didn't read just now, but, um, but, but it says, it says, uh, and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So in other words, they may be your slave now, but they won't be your slave in heaven. So you, you need to treat them like brothers and sisters. And that would have been a, a really radical word to speak to this culture at this time. I mean, radical word, um, so why didn't Paul condemn slavery? Let me tell you why. Because um, it was such an integral part of the culture in which they lived that it would have made no sense whatsoever to anybody, slave or free, for Paul to, to say, you shouldn't have slaves anymore. They, it, it wouldn't have made sense to them. The slaves would have said, where are we going to go and what are we going to do? And the masters would have said, how am I going to get everything done? There was not another way of operating. So you might say, you know, automobiles are bad for the environment. And we have been commanded by God to be stewards of our world. Yes, we have. 
Um, we have been commanded by God to be stewards of our world, and automobiles are bad for the environment. So I could stand up and say, because the Bible says we shouldn't drive cars, right? Uh, well, how are you going to get home from church? Right? Our whole culture is built on automobiles. So, but can we create a place that says we really want to learn to take better care of our environment that may over time find a way to get from place to place that would be better for the environment than what we currently have? Yes, yes, we can do that. And that is what happened. There were people very soon, I mean, within a uh, hundred years or so of, of this letter that were preaching that slavery should be abolished were abolishing slaves that they owned and were setting up places for slaves to go so that they could be free. So Christians, and trust me, Christians were the only ones and the first ones to suggest that slavery was not something God was okay with. Um, so it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has broken the power of slavery in the world and nothing else. And yes, it's been misused uh, over the years, but so has everything else that we can't we can't blame the gospel for its misuse or its misapplication. Um, the The truth of the gospel is what led to the abolition of slavery over time, um, and which still uh, stands as a testimony that we should not have slaves. Um, but he's going to speak to those uh, to this relationship that exists, and like I said, there were more slaves than free people in Rome, so. Uh, He's gonna and and a lot of slaves were being were 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 coming to Christ. Um, in fact, the the growth of the gospel was much more among the slave community than it was in the wealthier community. Jesus said that would be the case. Uh, but so Paul talks to the slaves. He says, "Be obedient to your masters according to the flesh." Uh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart. As to Christ, you're not their slave, you're Jesus' slave. And through your obedience and through you doing what you're supposed to do and through you joyfully carrying a, carrying on the service that God has, you know, that you have been put into to, to serve, you are serving the Lord, you are building up treasure in heaven, you are doing something beautiful and powerful in the world, by living your life as unto the Lord, even though this isn't fair, even though this isn't right, to live as a servant from your heart, as if serving the Lord is the right is is the right thing to do, and may actually win your master to the Lord. The Lord promises that in the end He will make it right. In the end. Uh, your life won't have been wasted and, and this service won't have gone towards this master just to make this master wealthy. It will be returned to you. And in the end, after the resurrection, justice will be done. But wait for that. And in the meantime, in the meantime, serve your master with love. Serve your master with love. And then he says to the, to the slave masters, do the same thing to them. Oh my gosh, do the same thing to them. But they're my slaves. That's right. Be subject to them. Woof. What are you going to do with that? Be subject to them and stop threatening them because you both have the same master and it's Jesus. 
that's some pretty fire though those are some firework words those are some words that will that could have burned paul down and maybe did i don't know but that 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 is that's hardcore stuff right there i want to speak for a moment about an application for this in our world okay because we don't have slaves or masters anymore but we do have bosses we have bosses and we live under a government and some of us don't like our bosses at all and some of us hate our government but look what paul's saying here it's not about how fair they are being it's about the service that you are giving to the lord as you serve them to cheat your employer to not to to i love where he says not by the way of eye service in other words you know, while they're looking, I'm going to make it look like I'm a I'm a good employee. But if I can get away with it, I read somewhere that sixty that the two thirds of people will will steal from their employer if they feel like they can get away with it. Two thirds will steal from their employer if they can get away with it. Um, there was this whole thing in social media here in the last few years called quiet quitting. Where, oh, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay here. I'm just not going to hardly work. I'm not going to. I'm not. Well, that is absolutely not okay. That is not something Jesus has called you to do. Uh, you, you're called to give your all where you work. And to give respect and honor to your employer. Whether they respect and honor you or not, you have been called to give respect and honor. Now, the wonderful thing is... That we live in a world where if you want to quit your job, you can quit your job and you probably go find another one fairly quickly. But whoever your employer is at any given time, you need to serve them well right up until the day that they are not your employer anymore. And you should not steal from your comp from the company you work at and you should put in all your hours, etc. Um, these are the things that Paul would say to the modern day employee, just like he said to the slaves as then. With good will, render your service as unto the Lord. Pretend that Jesus is your boss and not whoever that person is. Not Lumberg. Some of you will know, some of you won't. And if you're a boss, remember, Jesus is your boss too. And you need to treat your employees well, with care. You need to recognize them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to be subject to them. Whew. Tell you what, this is hardcore stuff, right? But this is what Jesus is calling us to do, to live as people who love each other, to live as people who love everyone we encounter, to be a people who live our lives out of reverence for Christ. Amen? All right. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for all you've done tonight. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Amen? All right. I'll talk to you all next time. <laughs>